0: processing through so much and in this time I think that when we go through hard times we need each other and we need to be in community and it can feel so difficult when you feel like because of the circumstances there's so much isolation and you know I've talked to a couple people this week who are you know you're high risk and you can't be out and about and that's hard and there's some of you that 're you 're quarantined, and that 's hard too and a lot of us have gone through a lot of things, but I just in my heart I just the, the thought that just keeps coming to my brain is is you 're not alone um, if you 're locked in your house and you can 't get out you 're not alone if you 're grieving you 're not alone. Um, this has not been easy, and God has been warning us and preparing us for this time, but we are not alone we have God presently, actively with us, but also we have one another. And, and, and we may not all be able to be in the same room, but I really believe that there's such a connection, and I just, I just love the body of Christ, and I believe the body of Christ is just priceless, just priceless for times like right now. I, I don't know how to do this, but I need to technically segue smoothly into, tra- uh, into announcements, because there's a few things we need to comm- talk shop with you about, so I'll, I'll be preaching in here a moment, but first I just need to communicate a few things. Uh, first of all, um, it's looking hopefully pretty likely that we're going to be able to do Christmas Eve services, and uh, at this point in time we've scheduled them for noon two and four, of course on the 24th, And um, but we were asking everybody uh, to register, so we can kind of do it in such a way that we can social distance and be safe and whether we add a service or subtract a service. So if you uh, are looking at going to the Christmas Eve service, please go online to theuptownchurch.net and uh, you can pick what service so we can kind of know how to navigate and and to plan for that. Also, uh, the next thing I want to communicate to you is we are going to be online uh next sunday again so we're gonna push back our grand reopening or whatever you want to call it but so today of course is online next sunday the 6th will be online God willing, we will be meeting in person on Sunday the 13th. So that's the plan as of right now, and I I believe it's likely that we'll be able to do that. And then the last thing is just a reminder about the offering. Um, Obviously, uh, if you're not here, you can't drop it in the box, but you can still give on our website, theuptownchurch.net, or you can text the word GIVE to the phone number that you see on your screen or you can mail it in a snail mail old school way so those are the three ways that you can continue to give and to support uh, the many things that are going on so uh, at this time I'm just gonna take a moment to to just pray for us to prepare our hearts and we're gonna dive into scripture I believe the Lord's made it very clear to me what I'm to talk about and so we're gonna we're gonna jump into that so father we just come before you, and I thank you, Lord, for every person here that that was on, you know, leading us in worship and helping in the sound booth and just filling in the gaps. I pray you bless each and every one of them that is making this stream possible. And Lord, um, I just pray for everybody that's listening to this live or maybe on a different day of the week, Lord, I pray that wherever they are, whatever's going on, God, that as I speak, that your presence would come right into where they are, whether it's their living room, their bedroom, their car, their shower. God, I just pray, God, your presence, your word is what we need more than anything else. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to me and through me, and that every person would connect with you, and that you would bring your light into every circumstance and situation. We yield to you, we yield to your word, and just say, speak, Lord, for we're listening to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, there's a lot of things that I would like to say, but I very clearly felt like the Lord gave me a message uh, that is probably way different than where I would have gone, but I am dead convinced that what I'm going to share with you is, is what, what is on the Lord's heart today. And um, we're going to be starting up a series here at Abundant Life in the Christmas season. And the series is entitled, Receive the Gift. Receive the Gift. And uh, today, uh, I want to talk to you about the, this particular message. is going to be the stigma. The stigma is, is the title of my message today. And... Looking at the idea of receiving the gift, have you ever had somebody, maybe at Christmas time, give you a gift and you open up that gift and you look at it and it's not what you wanted? It's not even remotely close to what you wanted. It's like, please just take this away. I don't want to, this is like one of those that's going to go to the thrift store kind of gifts. And you just, And now, you know, and if it's decoration in your house, now you're stuck with it. Because they know that they come to your house, and like you have to hang it up on your wall, even if it's totally not your style of house or whatever. Have you ever had God give you a gift that you didn't want? Man, oh man. Have you ever said something to God like, God, what is this? I don't want this. And God's like, well, you asked for it. I did not ask for this. No, you've been praying for this, and you've been praying. God, this is not what I had in mind. This is not what I was looking for or asking for. I want it to look like this. Have you ever had God give you a gift, and the gift came in a, was delivered in a package that you did not want? Have you ever had cried out to God for a solution or an answer and the circumstances or maybe the individual, the person, was the very person that you do not like? The very person you don't, they annoy you. They make it difficult for you. Today I want to talk to you about receiving the gift that God wants to give us. And oftentimes it comes with a stigma. It comes attached to something we don't like. So I want to turn to Luke chapter 1. It's a very familiar passage, especially at Christmas time. It's the story of how the angel appears to Mary... Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Take a quick drink. All right, here we go. Verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what ma- manner of greeting this was. Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, ha- have found favor with God. Now, I want you to see something here. The angel shows up, and he's, he's saying things like, don't be afraid. Now, why do you think he's saying, don't be afraid? Because she's scared. If I had an angel come into my room, I'd probably be all about it after it happened, but I'd be freaked out in the moment. And in that place of sheer terror, he's like, no, no, don't worry, i got good news for you. You have favor with God. When God looks at you, he looks at you with favor. You are being graced. Favor is that grace, that undeserved favor of God. And God has such grace and such favor for you that he's going to do something wonderful in your life. Something is coming, Mary. It's going to be good. It's going to be full of grace. It's going to be so such a blessing to you. And now I'm going to tell you what it is. In verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man. Mary's a smart girl. She understands how this works. She understands the birds and the bees and she understands um this sounds really great but there's a problem here. I'm not married. I don't know a guy. I'm a virgin. How could I be pregnant when I have never known a guy? The angel responds in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And now, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Now Mary has a decision to make because she says, How is this going to happen? How, how could this be? Don't worry, Mary. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of God's going to come upon you, and you're going to have, you know, what we call the immaculate conception. Now, I don't know if this went through Mary's mind, but I don't think her parents or her friends are going to buy this. I don't think this is looking good for her. She has favor, and the favor is attracted a gift, and that gift comes with a stigma. And then Mary makes a choice in verse 38 and says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God had a gift for Mary. Mary. And that gift was so good, but it made her look impure to the culture around her. It made her look bad. Mom and dad were probably wondering where their daughter had been. And because of that, when you read the people of Nazareth's response many years later, it is very clear that the people of Nazareth believe that Joseph is the father of Jesus. Jesus's neighbors did not believe it, that Mary was a virgin. Mary saying yes to God made her look bad in the eyes of people. And that Is what God does. God has a thing for giving gifts that are such a blessing, such a wonderful thing, and then the Lord attaches something to it that tests our humility, that tests our fear of man, because it hurts our dignity. I believe that the Lord is up to something good. I believe that the Lord has just been pouring into my heart repetition, repetition, repetition of this, this idea that I'm sharing with you today, and that is, is, I'm doing something. I'm bringing something. I have a gift for you. I, like, I, th- I personally think it's going to be big. I personally think it's going to be not just on a personal level. I think it's going to be on the macro level. But I believe the Lord is saying to the body of Christ, this is like the big idea right here. I have something good. Something is about to be unleashed on the earth that is going to literally shift nations, but it's going to come with a stigma. Stigma. It is going to cause, you have to make a choice. Will you hold on to your dignity because I'm purposely attaching something to it that will make you look bad in the eyes of people? It's all throughout the scripture. God uses people that we don't like. People who are offensive, who are annoying, who in some cases are flat out sinners. I mean, you think about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was used by God to fulfill God's purpose. What did the Lord say about Nebuchadnezzar? He said, He's my servant. He wasn't even, by our standards, a believer. He was throwing people into the fiery furnace that they didn't worship his false God. And you're telling me, Jesus, that he's your servant? In several portions of Scripture, it says, yeah, he's my servant. God uses offensive people, offensive circumstances. And I believe that the Lord has something in store for us. He's like, don't miss out. Don't miss out on the answer to your prayers. In Acts chapter 2, very famous passage of Scripture, we see the apostles and the other believers in the upper room praying and seeking the face of God. God comes in via the Holy Spirit and they see tongues of fire and they see supernatural phenomenon. There's this great wind and these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And out of that place of being filled with the Spirit they start to speak in other tongues and then people hear the noise of the wind people show up onto the scene and thousands of people are all gathered together and uh, you know 100 was it 20 something people they they're speaking in tongues and the people are what is going on this is so weird and a lo- and a lot of people said they're drunk That's, don't, guys, this is not a God thing. This is not God. God doesn't operate like this. These people are drunk. They're full of new wine. This isn't God. This whole tongues thing, that's, no, that is not God. Now, let me ask you a question. What do drunk people act like? Do they act like prim and proper Christians? Do they act where they can walk in a straight line? It is offensive for a Christian to act drunk in a service. Yet it's in the Bible to act drunk by the Spirit. It is offensive to much of the body of Christ to speak in tongues. Do you know why? Because it's weird. I speak in tongues. I believe in it with all my heart because I believe the Bible. Not because I think it's the cool thing to do. Not because I think it's seeker sensitive. Listen, I know we could get more people in our church if we did not speak in tongues. Well, in a theory. We can be more seeker sensitive. But there's a stigma... To speaking in tongues. And God's like, yeah, I'll give them nine gifts. The gift of faith. Who does not want the gift of faith? Oh, the gift of, gifts of healing? Oh, I'll take that, Lord. Give me the gifts of healing. Okay, well, what about words of knowledge where you know supernatural things without anybody telling you in the natural? Yeah, I want to I wanna know things about complete strangers. Walk up to them and say, hey, do you have a broken leg? And they're like, yeah, how do you, well, a broken leg might be easy to figure out. But you, you get the idea. You know, super, you know things by the Spirit, not by the natural man. That's a bad example. Hope you're laughing at my expense out there. <laughs> Got to get back on track. But you go down the list, and I think eight out of nine we want. And then God's like, and tongues because everybody thinks, will think you're a weirdo. Listen, God has a thing for killing our pride. He has a thing for exposing what's inside of us. And he goes and he puts the package in the most annoying people, people you and I look down upon. We say, God, send me the answer, and let pastor tim come and pray for me and god's like nope i'm going to have this 10-year-old boy pray for you but god that's not where the anointing and god's like is it where did i put my gift where is the package so we can see here by looking at mary and throughout the entire bible god has a thing for his gifts having that little thing with it. But I also want to look at another person in this story, and that is Joseph. So I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Get another drink of water real quick. Sorry. Joseph, can, you know, I just wish we got the full version of the story. Could you imagine Mary? Hey, Joseph, Um. I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. You're what? Yeah, but don't worry, the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I had this angel come into my room. And could you only imagine? Joseph goes home and he tells one of his buddies, like, So, I need to tell you something. Mary's pregnant. She she oh my gosh. No, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm not, I, I'm not in this. And he's like, are you, you, you sure? Like, dude, I, we have this weird, you know, this, this Middle Eastern courtship thing, but we don't even see, hardly see each other. And he's like, so you think there's another guy? I don't know. I think there is. She claims something about an angel coming into her room. And the guy's like, an angel came and got her pregnant. That's convenient. Do Well, I'm sorry, man. He's like, yeah, I'm going to break up with her. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, I'm gonna, I'm going to try to keep this on the down cuz I don't want to get out. Cuz people might think it's me. So, that's my version. We're going to read in Matthew uh, chapter 1 verse 18. It says, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows: After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So now Joseph has an encounter. This is God's mercy right here. Like, God, God's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta get this thing going here. The angel shows up in his dream. Joseph wakes up, you know, like, oh my goodness, God is in this. Now he goes back to his buddy, and he's like, So, I had this dream last night, and in this dream, an angel came. And he told me that she really is a virgin, and this is just a supernatural phenomenon, and that God made my fiancé pregnant. And the guy looks at him, and he's saying, like, really? Yeah, an angel came in your your dream. So, dude, do you think that was just a pizza? Like, do you really believe that God would do such a weird thing, Joseph? You know what? If you just come out and tell me the truth that it's, that it's your baby, I'll, I'll 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 still be your friend, man. I just just be honest with me. We're friends. Tell me the truth. We both know that it's your baby. And Joseph's like, Joseph's having to make it a decision because here's the thing. When God does stuff and it's weird the first thing we as Christians are good at is washing our hands of it getting out of the situation because we don't want to look bad. Christians are notorious for shooting their own. Christians in western culture can be downright brutal to one another because they don't like the package, because they don't like the the way they handle themselves. I mean, how many of us could say that we don't like certain preachers because we don't like the way they dress? Maybe they wear too much bling. How, How many of us could say, well, I don't like that preacher or that church, because it's, they're too flamboyant. It feels too showy. As if God can't work through quirky, weird people who are showy. I remember when I was a kid, uh, an outpouring of, of God's spirit came to Toronto, Canada. And uh, I can't, I'm blanking out now. On, the, the Toronto blessing is what they called it. The Toronto blessing, decades later, has so much fruit. So much fruit in China, in Africa. I can't remember the exact country, but I want to say maybe Pakistan. Like, that, that movement influenced America and has so much fruit. But it came with this weird stigma of laughing. Laughing in church is offensive. If you laugh at church, something is wrong with you. Now, you can come up and cry. We're okay with you crying. If you're sad, go for it. Be sad. But don't be happy in church, because that's offensive. I, rem- I never went to Toronto, but I remember... Um, some friends of my parents who did and they came back and visited our church with a handful of people from their church and I remember as a kid I'm probably like 12 maybe 11 12 and I remember we're in church and these people are just laughing hysterically out of control and you know how it is when other people laugh and you start laughing at them that's kind of more, that's what it was like for me. Like, I was laughing, but not by the Spirit. I was laughing by, you're weird. And, and much of the body of Christ looks at something like Toronto and say, I don't believe God works that way. I don't believe God is in that. And I remember as a kid really wondering, why would God make people laugh? Why would God do that? It doesn't even make sense to me. It doesn't seem like God. But I didn't think much of it. I moved on with my life until several years ago. I was, I had gone through a time of a lot of heartache and a lot of hurt and a lot of grief. And Rachel and I were in our living room and we were, like you are probably, watching preaching online. And we were watching this service and it was, you know, on a Saturday night. And. When the, the, this, it was a healing conference that we were watching. And when the service was over, um, the speaker was actually Randy Clark, who was involved with Toronto. And when it was done, he wanted to pray. And you know, you know how it is when you watch a sermon, uh, or you're in an actual service. At the end of the service, you pray. Well, he went, and he had this time of prayer where, you know, you kind of you, you assume the position, and you pray, you know, whatever you pray at the end of the service, and I'm in my living room, and I actually decide to get on my knees to receive whatever God has for me. Like, okay, God, whatever you have for me, I just want to receive what you have for me. And so we pray, and the prayer lasts for a few minutes. And I go to—I'm I'm, kind of by the, the speaker so, and the TV, so I kind of lean forward like where I am to just kind of turn it off. And we're ready to go to bed. And I, I'm i like, Rachel, I, I can't get up. And Rachel's like, you, you, you what? I'm like, I don't understand, but I am stuck to the floor. I've never had this happen before, nor since. I am literally stuck to the floor. I cannot get up. And so I'm laying, on and I turn, and I lay on my back, and I cannot get up. No, I mean, this is like, this is not, I'm not in a trance. I'm in my right mind, and I'm just laying there. I am stuck to the floor. This is so weird. And out of inside of me, a joy that was intense came inside of me. Joy. And all of a sudden, I start laughing out of Joy. And I'm laughing some more. And now I'm out of control. (laughs) I know. you're. See, this is what I'm talking about. The stigma. Now I care about what you think about. You're probably thinking, I'm a psycho. Here we go. So I'm laying on the floor. I'm full of grief. And I'm full of joy. And I am laughing. And Rachel is just laughing at me. Because her husband is stuck to the floor. And as I'm stuck to the floor, and I'm laughing, I find myself... Turning side to side and it hits me oh no I've turned into a holy roller this is where they get the terminology this is what they're talking about so I am literally rolling and laughing stuck to the floor for probably 30 minutes and I'll just clarify like I always thought that God made people laugh God does not make people laugh God gives people joy and then out of joy we laugh. And I was like, oh, I get it, God. That makes way more sense. That, why would you make people... And, and I, be, I realized that was the Lord healing me of my grief. The Lord wants to heal his people of grief. And laughing is okay. But much of the body of Christ, if they heard what you just heard, would not be okay with this. They would think we were a cult. Why? Because the body of Christ thinks too much in their natural head. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look uneducated. We don't want to look unbiblical. But if you look through the Bible, God attaches stigma to just about everyone and everything. And the temptation, the temptation... Is to separate like Joseph did. God, you might be in this, but if I actually step into this, if I join them in this, I'm gonna be guilty by association, because that's what it is. It's guilt by association. Jesus hung out with tax collectors, which is not offensive to us, because you know, most tax collectors in America are not very popular, but they're just normal people. But in their culture, they were, they were people who betrayed and were cowards. It is downright offensive to the Jewish mind that Jesus, the one who is perfect and holy, would hang out with the most wicked person they could think of. It is crazy how God does it the Azusa Street Revival. I love reading church history. Do you know that almost every amazing thing you've heard of about church history, there's a stigma to it? Now, you may not view it that way now, but that's because it's not offensive to you. And I'll to give you an example. William Seymour, an African man, was the leader of the Azusa Street Revival. And you guys are like, so a black man. God used a black guy. Listen. God took the most offensive package he could find to start a revival. And only the humble were able to receive the Azusa Street Revival. Why? You know William Seymour, how he was trained? He was trained outside of a church building, listening through the window, because it was against the law for him to be in that building and be educated by a white preacher. God has a thing for taking what we don't like to test what's on the inside of us. I want to I wanna look at Matthew chapter 11. I love this passage of Scripture. I believe it is, a, I believe it is packed full of what the American church and the, really the, the whole church needs in this time. In Matthew chapter 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 16, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and about the culture and the people of Israel and their response to John the Baptist and their response to Jesus. So in verse 16, Jesus says, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. Now, when he's saying, we played the flute for you, he's saying, we played the wedding song. Do you know who played the wedding song? It was Jesus. When Jesus came onto the scene, he played a wedding song. He marched to his own beat. And then John, though, marched to a different beat. Jesus and John were both anointed by God, but both were completely different. They both had different ministries and different roles. John, he says, we mourned to you and you did not lament. He's saying, we played the funeral song. John played the funeral song you he didn't mourn. I came and did the wedding song. You didn't dance. No matter what song we play, you don't get into the rhythm. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. You know why they thought John the Baptist had a demon? He wore camel hair. He had a leather belt before it was ever cool. And then he would eat the locust, which we would call that a grasshopper. Crunchy, protein. And he would have honey, which honey makes sense. But locusts. Is this some kind of weird prophetic thing? Like, if you saw that guy on YouTube, you would be concerned. You would be weirded out. And John just didn't look weird. He acted weird. He didn't just hang out among people and have a bunch of buddies. He was in the middle of nowhere. He was off the beaten path. And how did he get people to come and listen to him preach down by the river? He's... He's down there, the people just go fishing one day, and he just starts hollering at them. Listen to me. And and his message was not like, hey, you know, Jesus loves you, and he's coming, and he's going to fight for you. You know, you just want to fall in love with Jesus. It was more like, hey, sinners, stop sinning. Repent, because it's all going to burn, and you're going to burn. So turn it around. You brought up snakes. Very Joel Osteen. And I mean that with all respect to Joel Osteen. But I mean like, it's like, is just hardcore. John the Baptist was so hardcore, he began to wonder, question if Jesus was the Messiah. Because Jesus wasn't hardcore enough. He did. Jesus, he hears about all the miracles and healings. And he's like, I thought he was going to drop the hammer. Why? Why is Jesus not dropping the hammer? That's what I prophesied. Jesus is like, yeah, it'll be a few thousand, at least 2,000 years from now. I'll drop the hammer. I'll get around to it. So, but then we see here, they think John has a demon. In verse 19, Jesus says, the son of man, that's himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You like that? Jesus is like, I show up, I hang out with you guys, and you don't like it. I drink wine. I eat good food. I wear normal clothing. It's still not good enough for you, is it? Why? They didn't like the package. No matter what package we send, you're not getting it. Don't you realize the culmination of all of history is happening right now, and you're alive to see it, and you're missing out. There are generations before you, there will be generations after you, and they waited and wanted what you have, but it's not good enough for you. You don't like how I hang out with sinners. You don't like how John dresses weird. You don't like John's personality. Don't you get... You are on the verge of one of the greatest moments in all of history, and you are missing it. What if the greatest revival happened in 2021, and many Christians missed it? Oh, I would never miss it. Really? Like I said, I love studying history. Listen, I am greatly concerned that many people who are Christians are going to miss out on the very outpouring they've sought God for for decades. I believe that God is going to offend us. He is going to offend our minds. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's going to be a stretch. I think it's going to be a stretch for me. I'm a little bit, there's a weird part of me that's almost dreading it. Because this is what I see happening. A revival coming that takes and sweeps over the nations of the earth. And so many people that are known by the name of Jesus right now will literally just do church as usual while it's happening. I heard a story <clears throat> about, I can't remember where it was exactly, but it was back, um, in the, I believe in the eight. I think it was the 80s, but it was, it was when uh, Russia was um, under communism and it was just really intense there and much of Eastern Europe was involved in communism and the control of that. And a revival happened. Um, They actually, the the government, because they were one of the most West Coast, or not West Coast, but Western cities, they wanted to actually let them have a church because it was right by Europe or or right, right by Western Europe. And so they allowed the Christians to meet in a very controlled environment and they have this mentality, we're gonna make all of the churches merge into one building and they will have to merge into one church. And we're gonna let the church tear themselves apart so the so the Westerners we won't look bad to the Western world. And so they allowed these Christians to meet in a very limited, controlled fashion to make a long story short a great revival swept where people in Moscow and Russia were traveling on trains covertly and secretly to come to this outpouring where healings and miracles and supernatural phenomenon, and I believe these outpourings would happen throughout the week, I know, especially Thursday nights, and they would come, hungry people would come from other nations and other parts of the world doing whatever it took to covertly and taking their pennies to get there because they were hungry for God. And a huge majority of the people that were actually part of the church did not even partner with the revival because they came to church on Sunday morning, which was dignified and more presentable and much more like God would operate. Do do you see it? There is going to be people getting saved that are weird. People getting saved that will stretch you like you can never imagine. There are people that are going to come out of the woodwork and God's going to pour out His Spirit upon those people and people that are not even saved are going to be a part of the next movement and many that are saved are not even going to be a part of the next movement. And I too, I'm, just, I'm, I'm I just shouting it out for everyone to hear. Please do not let your offense keep you from your gift. Please do not let the stigma... Of people, keep you from all the Lord has for you. I want to read a little bit further in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus continues in the conversation, and in verse 25 he says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. It seemed good in God's sight to do what? To hide it from the proud and to reveal it to babes. This is why I believe many Christians have walked away from their faith. Because they... I believe... It's going to sound bad, but I believe that when a Christian is stuck in a place of pride and they cannot receive... What the Lord has for them, it kills their faith. And I would say, well, Lord, why don't you show yourself to that person who's turned to be an atheist or an agnostic. That person walked away from the faith. God, why? Like, I want to make this thing easy. God doesn't operate like I operate. I've watched people be like, why? Well, I don't believe in God and this is why. And I'm like, you know your problem Your problem is, is you turned off the faucet and God turned it off because of your pride. God put... The answer, the prayer, the thing you were looking for in a person or a package you don't like. And so while many in the body of Christ 10 years ago were saying, I can't receive from that church or I can't receive from Pentecostals or I can't receive, I don't believe prophets are for today. Listen, there are people that are walking away from their faith today because they're not hearing God. And the reason they're not hearing God is because they've stopped believing in prophets. And they stop believing in the supernatural. Listen, you and I need to drink from what God wants to give us. Because if we say, no God, I refuse to receive from weird people. I refuse to receive from churches and denominations. I don't even believe in that stuff. And God says, well then you, how can you receive what I have for you? Your faith will not make it. You will be an atheist if you do not receive and listen to my voice, and my voice will come through people that will test your humility. So who is God revealing himself to? Who does God give revelation to? He gives it to babes. You might want me or Pastor Tim to pray for you because you think that if we lay our hands on you, God will heal you. But what if God put it in your bratty teenager? No, God, not in Joe. Joe's, I don't like him. He, he sings off key and I purposely sit away from him in church because he offends me. And God says, yeah, you need to sit by him because I purposely put it in him to test, to test you. To find out what was truly and genuinely inside of you. And this is how God operates in us. I want to... Mark, would you mind handing me that bucket? Got a little illustration for you. This is not my idea. This I stole from another pastor. This is a KFC. There's Colonel Sanders. I don't know if you can see Colonel Sanders. He's got a Santa hat on, so he's all jolly. But what I got here is fried chicken. Mmm, smells good, even though it's a little cold right now. Last night, my family and I, we, we had KFC. And the illustration that this uh, I've heard a, a pastor share is the idea that chew the meat and spit out the bones. And this has so helped me ever since I heard it, because the thing is, is God will give things that have meat but he will also allow there to be bones you see i if you go through history and you look at revivals and movements and leaders you find that many of them had problems my wife laughs she's like you have no idea i've been reading a book called god's generals to my kids it's amazing, like one famous preacher saw healings, supernatural phenomenon. But he also had this weird ambition to have the biggest, he would do tent meetings, like big tent revivals back in the 40s and 50s. He wanted to have the biggest tent of all the evangelists and all the preachers. So he went to, what's his name, uh, What? No, no, the other guy. What tent did he go to, Zeke? Oral Roberts. Thank you, Joshua. All right, I have my kids spread out. (laughs) And the worship team. Oral Roberts. He went to Oral Roberts' tent, and he measured it. And then he went back home, and he ordered a tent that was like three feet bigger than Oral Roberts' tent. And then he went, and he put in a magazine that he made a big advertisement in this healing magazine that he had the biggest tent in America. Now, we would call that immature. Dude, you, why in the world would you be competing with Oral Roberts so you have a bigger tent like anybody cares? And then you're letting everybody know how immature you're acting. Well, apparently... God has a thing for using people like that. Because God uses churches, preachers, Christians that have bones. That sin even. It could happen. And it's so easy for us to get offended. Last night when we were having KFC, I was pulling out the boys I'm like all right, what do you want a leg? Do you want a wing? Do you want this? And one of my boys goes, do all of them have bones in it? I don't like bones. And I'm like, You're, that's my sermon. I'm like, good boy. Like, that's why we're having this with bones. We purposely did not get chicken tenders. We Listen, you've got you've to learn how to chew the meat and spit out the bones if you want what God has for you. Boy, it's greasy. That's what makes it so good. Is there like a Kleenex or something around? No, I guess I'll just walk around with my hands like this. I think you, Michael. <laughs> so greasy. But not complaining. Good, good, good flavor. All right. We'll land this plane. Just a moment. So I believe that this message will apply to you this week. But I also really, with all my heart, believe this message has a lot to do with what's just right around the corner. I believe this message is an important message for the body of Christ because we don't want to miss out on the grace. The grace is coming. You may not like how it happens. But before you shoot it, and say, God doesn't operate that way. God can never do that. God can never be this way. Before we start telling God what he can and cannot do, we, we, before we get all up in our heads, because you know, we use scripture verses that say, everything should be orderly. Yes, everything should be orderly. That doesn't mean God doesn't do weird things. I know this message is hard for a lot of us. It's going to get harder. Not the message, but with the experience. We're going to be stretched by who God uses in the coming season. We're going to be stretched by how God does it. But I just want to encourage you, before you say that's the devil, maybe just shut your mouth like Joseph. Keep it quiet. A lot of Christians believe that since the internet exists, that they should say everything they believe on it. There's a lot of people that are lethal and brutal in the body of Christ that are shooting their own. Listen, if you heard something about a famous preacher, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. If you've heard something about a situation, just because somebody claims something doesn't mean it's true. Just because the news media says something doesn't mean it's true. We have got to get to the place where we're more like Joseph where we can shut our mouths if we do or don't know if God's in it. I don't know if, I don't know if God's in that. I'm not going to shoot it. I'm not going to bless it. I'm not going to shoot it. I'm just going to shut my mouth. And then if God reveals stuff to us, will we be willing to associate with people whom Christians look down on, whom the world Looks down on and let go of our dignity because if we want to go where God's going, our dignity is going to have to go bye bye. And people are going to say things about us, they're going to think things about us, they're going to misjudge us, they're going to think we're freaks. We have to be willing to do what God wants and partner with God's plan for our life. So, for those of you that are standing, I mean, so who are in the room? Could you could you stand? And for those of you that are online, if if you're not driving in a car, you want to stand up as well. We want to chew the meat, spit out the bones. Let's pray. Father, we honor you, and we give you all of the credit for carrying us this far. Your grace is what's holding us. Together, And I thank you that the plans that you have are good. The purposes of your heart are good. We don't like a lot of what's happened. I wish I could just skip November this year. Just move on from a lot of this stuff. But Lord... We yield to you, and Lord, no matter what we look like, no matter what they think, we surrender to what you say. We yield to what you want to do, at all obedience at all costs. God, we, just like Joseph and Mary said, yes, we will obey at all costs. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I do pray for anybody out there in our church that has the coronavirus that you would bring physical healing to their bodies. For people in our city, and our region, God, we pray that you would help the doctors and the nurses. We pray you would give them energy, strength, ideas, and flat-out grace. We pray for those that are not feeling well, God, that you would raise them up. God, raise up those who are sick and are experiencing uh, other uh, fallout of, of that. We just plead the blood of Jesus over your people. and We pray for no more deaths. We pray for no more sickness. We pray for your healing virtue to come. And we yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen.